Good morning. You're listening to Northern Light for Wednesday, June 22nd. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Three Democrats are vying for lieutenant governor in a very competitive primary and race. Karen DeWitt has profiles of Antonio Delgado, Anna Maria Archila, and Diana Reyna coming up. Also on the show, we'll meet some of the students in the BOCES program in Malone School Districts. They're learning the three R's and how to wield a hammer and saw. I've loved building for a long time. Um, my father does it, so and he's starting his own company, so I'm trying to help him out, too. So it's nice to learn. I want to hopefully eventually start my own business in the future. And we'll visit an athletic field where the emphasis is not on winning the game, but having fun together that matters. Plus, military personnel seeking religious exemptions. And we'll check out a few things to do on these summer weekends. All of that's coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by attorney Amy L. Smith, Lake Placid, advising Adirondack Farm, Forest, and Campland owners for the next generation of stewardship, 518-523-4580. And by St. Joseph's Addiction Treatment and Recovery Centers, now providing detoxification treatment in Saranac Lake for drug or alcohol crises, 518-891-4135. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The race for governor is getting the most attention in the June 28th primary for statewide elected offices. But on the Democratic side, there's also a contest for who will be the state's next lieutenant governor. As Karen DeWitt reports, that position can prove to be an important one. Twice in the past 15 years, a lieutenant governor in New York found themselves suddenly elevated to governor. First, it was David Patterson. He took over when Elliot Spitzer resigned over a prostitution scandal. Then, last August, Kathy Hochul became governor when Andrew Cuomo resigned over allegations of sexual harassment and other scandals. In this year's Democratic primary for the position, three candidates are running, Antonio Delgado, Ana Maria Archila, and Diana Reyna. Each is associated with a candidate who is running for governor, but in the primary, they are elected separately. And any one of them could end up being governor if the state's top executive is once again forced to leave. Kathy Hochul, who is seeking election to a full term, has chosen Delgado, a former Hudson Valley congressman, for her running mate. For the new Lieutenant Governor of the State of New York, Congressman Antonio Delgado. Delgado is actually a late replacement for Hochul's initial choice, Brian Benjamin. Benjamin was appointed to the position last September, but he resigned in April after being indicted on federal corruption charges. Delgado, who is of African-American and Cape Verdean descent, grew up in Schenectady. He attended Oxford on a Rhodes Scholarship, graduated from Harvard Law School, and lived and worked in New York City for a time with his wife and twin sons before winning the congressional seat in 2018. Hochul chose Delgado in May. I'm excited to be a partner with you and build a better future for New York. 
In a mid-June news conference with Hochul, Delgado said he was still getting his bearings and could not yet say what his portfolio might be. He did say he could be helpful in being a liaison with the federal government for projects. That speaks to economic development, whether it's in the infrastructure space, wastewater management systems, broadband, housing. Many Democratic Party leaders and major unions have endorsed Delgado. But even though Hochul is ahead of her two opponents in the polls, Delgado is largely unknown to voters and a victory for him is not assured. Ana Maria Archila is running for lieutenant governor as the running mate of New York City public advocate Jumani Williams. Archila, a Colombian-American and progressive activist, is backed by many grassroots progressive groups and is the nominee for the left-leaning Working Families Party. She believes the role of lieutenant governor should be more active than has traditionally been the case. She says if elected, she'd be a real force in Albany and does not intend to spend her time just cutting ribbons. Archila spoke during a debate on Spectrum News. The way that lieutenant governors have embodied this role is not helpful, just waiting for assignments from the governor. The lieutenant governor is directly elected by the people. The third candidate for lieutenant governor, Diana Reyna, is the running mate of Long Island Congressman Tom Swazi. Reyna, a former New York City council member and Brooklyn deputy borough president, was the first Dominican-American woman elected to public office in New York State. Like Swazi, Reyna identifies herself as a common-sense Democrat, with more moderate views than the traditional Democratic Party. The two have highlighted rising crime rates and spoken in opposition to the state's 2019 bail reform laws, which ended many forms of cash bail. She's also expressed concerns over high property taxes. As common sense Democrats, we're not going to follow what is the norm. And when you want a message to resonate with voters, this is about standing outside of what is the Democratic Party. Whoever wins the Democratic primary will automatically be on a combined ticket with the winner of the primary for governor in the general election. So it's possible that Hochul, the front runner, could end up with Archila or even even Reina as her running mate. Both candidates have different views from Hochul on many topics. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You're listening to Northern Light. Here on North Country Public Radio, it's seven minutes past eight. Good morning, I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. On these summer days, it's time to get outside and learn St. Lawrence County's newest sport. Listen back to our look at Relay Ball, coming up in just a few minutes, right here on Northern Light. Music by the Wickmore Jazz Trio in Plattsburgh, and it's part of our Underscore Project. Broadcast of Northern Light is supported by Fort de la Presentacion, helping to educate and recreate historical ventures of interest to the St. Lawrence region. Fort1749.org and North Country Children's Museum, Potsdam, New York, with hands-on and minds-on exhibits and programs for children 12 and under and their families. Open Wednesday to Sunday, 10 to 5, northcountrychildrensmuseum.org.
During high school, you can take foreign languages, calculus, and orchestra, but you can also learn how to fix a car, build a house. New York's BOCES, the Boards of Cooperative Educational Services, offers these career and technical education programs to high school students. Amy Feierisel visited the Building Trades Program in Malone. Garrett Niles is wearing a tool belt. He's hunched over a cabinet in a tiny house on wheels. We're getting this cabinet put in because it wasn't connected. We're just finishing it up. Niles is 17 years old, a junior, and has a mop of curls. He's one of 35 students in the building trades program here at the North Franklin Educational Center in Malone. It's a lot better than sitting in the classroom all day. A lot more fun, too. Learn uh, something that can actually help me in the future make money and stuff. Students come from as far as Chattagay, Fort Covington, St. Regis Falls, and Aquasasne for the program. Niles has a short commute. He lives in Malone. He spends the first half of his day at the high school, just up the hill. I go up to school, up right up there, and then come down to Bosey's during the afternoons, work down here for the rest of the day. In addition to the tiny house, the kids are also building a 1,500-square-foot modular home. This starts with a pile of lumber in the fall, and at the end of the year, you've got something like this, you know, a finished product that somebody could live in. It's pretty cool. That's Eric Ashlaw, the building trades teacher. He's 44 and grew up in Malone. He went through the same program as a teen, then spent 20 years working as a union carpenter. Well, not every kid, I guess, learns from a book. That's, that was me um, when I was in high school. He says this program helped keep him in school. One of the main drivers for me coming, wanting to come to a school my junior and senior year was coming down here. He started leading the program in 2017, and he says a big motivator for him is getting students ready to really jump into the field. I've noticed over the last, well, 10, 15 years that there wasn't a lot of kids coming out of these programs that I was seeing on the job sites. So I wanted to... Um, come back and train kids to get them out there. Ashlaw says he has students working for lots of local contractors and the Carpenters Union, where the yearly salary starts at $35,000 and includes benefits and retirement. A lot of students, like Niles, plan on careers in building. Destiny Roke, one of just two girls in the program, is touching up the paint job in the modular home. I've loved building for a long time. Um, my father does it, so, and he's starting his own company, so I'm trying to help him out, too, so it's nice to learn. I want to hopefully eventually start my own business in the future. Here at the FEC BOCES, there are over 150 students. There's the building trades program, electrical, HVAC, auto mechanics, hands-on programs where students learn a specific skill and graduate ready, if they wish, to join the workforce. That can be really empowering in more ways than one. For kids who have always struggled with tests and traditional academics, this program can feel like a lifeline, an opportunity to excel in school. I was struggling with grades a lot from ever since I got into middle school, really. That's Dahanya Date Shero. He goes to Salmon River. He's from Akwasasne. Me, I was more interested of hands-on work because... All I can do is so much on a piece of paper, so... So, really, it's, uh, it's been a relief. Savannah Clark from St. Regis Falls said something really similar. This is what she feels good at. I took shop class for three years. Really good at it, loved it. Loved building projects. For me, it's just more like a way to get like, a lot of emotions out. 
Shero and Clark were painting a closet together. They're friends. They both say they've opened up here. Really enjoy it here. It's fun to meet new people, even though when I came here, I was very antisocial. <laughs> but as time grew on, I started to like open up a little bit more. In a job site, it's kind of going to be necessary to talk to people you don't really know. And it's just cool to have friends that you meet from different schools. So it's been quite an experience this year. Cheryl and Clark are both juniors. They say they're definitely returning next year. Eric Ashlaw, their teacher, says the program is good for students. But it's also critical for the North Country workforce. Our workforce in the trades is actually getting to the point where they'll be retiring, and we need people to take over their positions. And uh, there's so much work out there right now that we need we need these guys out there. He says right about now, at the end of each school year, he fields daily calls looking for workers. And he has them. Amy Feireisel, North Country Public Radio in Malone. military is taking a hard line on troops seeking religious exemptions to the COVID vaccine mandate. It has granted few exemptions and asked the courts to uphold its policy of discharging service members who refuse the vaccine. But advocates say the Pentagon's position could make it harder for other troops who seek different kinds of religious accommodations. Steve Walsh reports for the American Homefront Project. Petty Officer First Class Jeweria Webb joined the Navy after September 11, 2001. She's Muslim, but Webb was told at boot camp that she could not cover her hair with a traditional hijab. I felt naked. I felt like everyone was looking at me. I felt uncomfortable. Um, but it just, it, was, it took time for me to get used to it. She still covered her hair when she was out of uniform. As her faith deepened, she says she wanted to make the hijab part of her Navy life in San Diego. A few months ago, her command granted her request for an accommodation under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It's something that I've always wanted to do. I was just worried about how people would perceive me. And also, it made me feel very proud because now I feel like now I'm representing Muslims and they can see how we really are. Riffra has been in the spotlight as a number of troops, including a group of Navy SEALs, have filed lawsuits on religious grounds. They're challenging the military's COVID-19 vaccination mandate. The Pentagon is discharging troops who refuse the shot. Attorney Daniel Blumberg's firm handles religious freedom cases. He's not involved in COVID lawsuits, but he's worried his clients could be impacted. He says the Navy is bypassing the normal process for granting religious accommodations. The military normally gets it right. We have a heritage of respecting religious difference and religious freedom in the military. It doesn't always get it right. You know, that's that's why we've had to litigate. Though mainstream Christian leaders support the vaccine, the most common objection is that cells used to research the vaccine were descendants of aborted cells taken decades earlier. More than 3,000 sailors have applied for religious exemptions since the mandate took effect in November. A federal judge issued an injunction barring the Navy from discharging them, possibly until the Supreme Court rules. Blumberg fears that those cases might make it easier for the Navy to deny other religious exemptions. I think the process itself is causing a significant part of the problem. But, you know, the big problem is that nobody is getting granted. Nobody is getting granted. Blumberg has represented Sikhs who have filed lawsuits to wear traditional turbans and other sailors whose faith emphasizes wearing beards. 
He says the law is supposed to find reasonable accommodation wherever practical. If a service member has a sincere religious belief and the government substantially burdens it, then the government has to have a really good reason to do that and in no other way of accomplishing the mission. There are going to be some environments that will not be as conducive for having a bearded Jew or sick or Muslim serve in. They just won't. And so those individuals will have the opportunity to serve in other contexts. He says an unvaccinated SEAL can work a desk job rather than in the close quarters of a rib boat, but they shouldn't be discharged. Navy leaders have told the courts that they see vaccination as the way back to normal after crippling COVID-19 outbreaks sidelined ships. Navy Surgeon General Bruce Gillingham spoke to sailors in a video. COVID is a force readiness issue, and there's no better protection for an individual, a family, or the community than getting the immunity that comes from being vaccinated. I do support the COVID um, vaccine, so that's why I'm vaccinated. Petty Officer Webb said she asked the Council on American-Islamic Relations to write a letter to her command after she became more observant even though she plans to retire from the Navy in little over a year. In her case, the Navy set limits on where she can wear her hijab. For instance, if she ever works on a flight line. Steve Walsh, KPBS News. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. Good morning, I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, we'll check out a sport invented in St. Lawrence County, perfect for these sunny summer days. After that, stick around for Bird Note, how flooding in the Amazon creates a lush habitat, habitat for toucans, macaws, kingfishers, and tiger herons. That's coming up at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Yeah, we've got a mix of uh, sun, clouds, occasional showers again today, and uh, along the eastern Lake Ontario region and the St. Lawrence Valley highs in the 80s this afternoon. Right now in Canton, 72 degrees. Elsewhere, uh, highs in the mid-70s today. Winds out of the south, 5 to 10 miles per hour, although the Champlain Valley, uh, wind gusts up to 20, 25 miles per hour at times. Tonight, a low around 60 and cooler tomorrow across our region with highs uh, in the mid-60s tomorrow. Well, grab your water and put on your sweats because today we are learning a new sport. Let's play ball. Relay ball. It's kind of a mix of ultimate frisbee and basketball. And it was invented by this guy. It's a new game I invented. Zane Gardner is about 30 years old, a St. Lawrence County resident who loves sports. Martial arts, football, basketball. How do you like my jersey? Oh, it looks really great. The jersey he's wearing looks very sharp. No one else is wearing one, yet. But Zane lives and breathes relay ball, so he's got names picked out for the teams that he wants to create one day. The Canton Stallions, DeKalb Roses, the Herman Heat, and on Zane's jersey... Upstate Bombers. Upstate Bombers. It's great. It's a blue with yellow trim, and is the number seven lucky? Uh, John Elway. 
Denver Broncos. I love it. Your team. Your favorite team? Yeah. Well, you're all set for relay ball today. You really look the part. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Zane plays with his group of friends at the Cerebral Palsy Association on their outdoor recreation days. It's a group for people of all abilities. So out in the grass by the basketball court in DeKalb, Zane and four other guys toss balls and warm up. Oh, heads up. Jim. Sorry, John. <laughs> Dan, be quick. Jim Williams works for the Cerebral Palsy Association and heads up this group. So for those of you in Radioland, we just finished our warm-ups where we're, we're tossing the balls around, and uh, I think everyone's pretty warmed yeah. up. Everyone was doing some bending and running to get the balls and uh, said some pretty fast throws, so we should be up for a pretty good game. Those are some killer throws from you, Zane. Thank you. <laughs> What's really cool about relay ball is that people of most all abilities can play it. Plus, it's adaptable to your space. You can play it in the garage or in the grass, find anything for a goal. So out here, we'll head to the basketball court. The rules of relay ball are simple. It's a lot like basketball, but everyone on your team has to touch the ball before you can shoot it in the basket. Let's count off by two. So I'll be, what do you got? One. Two. One. Three. <laughs> Every time. One. Toss a coin to start. All righty. So you want to call, I'll toss it and you call it. Heads. Tails. Oh. Okay. It starts off a little rocky. Ow. Got to remember to run to the half court line. Good try. Someone asks to kick the ball. Um. That's not an official rule yet. Zane passes to Pete. Pete tosses it to Greg. Greg takes the shot and... Oh, good try. Good, good try, Greg. We'll try again. This time the other team's got it. Dan tosses the ball to Jim, who dribbles a bit, passes to Jonathan, who shoots. Almost got it. I almost got it. Almost had it. <laughs> Let's take a timeout for a quick water break over by Zane's parents. I'm Dave Gardner. I'm Zane's father. And I'm Sheila Gardner. I'm Zane's mom. Yeah, I'm Zane. <laughs> Zane. <laughs> Zane. I have to tell you, we used to play in the living room a lot with a basket. <laughs> in the kitchen? In the kitchen, you know, with a basket. How did you first come up with the idea? I had like a dream of it. And you had it, a dream of it? Yeah. What was your dream like? It was like a dream of a smart. So I was like, I got to write this rules down and everything. And that started from there. Do you remember anything that was happening in the dream? And players playing it. And did it look a lot like how we played today? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Early on, Zane showed up at Jim's office with his father <laughs> saying, can you help me? <laughs> gotcha. Jim helped me along with it been an evolution because uh, I mean the whole idea of relay ball like, everyone's got to touch the ball before you can attempt to make a basket you know that gives it the relay part of the um, the game yeah yeah so everyone's got to be part of the play in order to score it's his baby Zane has even taught it in K through 8 gym classes at the Herman DeKalb school <laughs> He even had uh, me order some awards, like these ribbons, to give to people for second and third place. And I'm glad to be able to help him promote it. And but Jane, Zane is an avid promoter of Relay Ball. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Zane's got to get a trademark here next, right? <laughs> <laughs> trademark. Hashtag. <laughs>
So how fun is it so far? Oh, it's super fun. I'm loving it. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I love it too. This is Zane's friend, Jonathan Goldo. Three on three. It's, it's a good competition, good game. Thank you, Zane. No problem. Well, rehydrated, the teams are ready to try for that shot. Pete tosses to Greg. Greg to Zane. Now he can shoot and... Ooh. Awesome, man. Awesome. I didn't know if you were fist bumping. <laughs> oh, they are definitely fist bumping. Monica Sandresky, North Country Public Radio, DeKalb. Monica's story first aired last year. Enough of a crew for relay ball, but you're still looking for a way to get outside with your grandkids, head over to the Ogdensburg Public Library and borrow some free fishing gear. Dorian Alexandra Lenny Wallace is the director of youth services at the library and says they've got lots of tackle, nets, and poles ready to check out. Got the fishing poles here. There's a bunch of them on a fishing pole rack and uh, these little um kits these are for children uh they're perfect if you've got your like your grandkids visiting they've got tackle and everything right in there with a little pole and everything's all bunched together in a bag so the kids don't lose anything and we've got the you know big tackle boxes i believe that somewhere we've got some um pliers in case you get a, a hook stuck somewhere <laughs> and we've got bobbers bigger lures sharp yeah. <laughs> yeah you gotta be careful with those <laughs> And we've got um, the nets. So, yeah, perfect for grandkids and visitors coming in if yeah, they don't have uh, fishing poles and tackle. Most of the people around here have their own. We've also got the buckets. <laughs> all right. That's great. And is it available all summer? Yep, it's available all year round. Um, you do have to have a fishing license to get it if you're an adult. Kids don't because they don't need a fishing license to fish. <laughs> so, yeah, just check it out like uh, you normally would with a library card. Again, like Dorian said, fishing gear is available year-round at the Ogdensburg Public Library. Coming up on 27 minutes past 8, I just want to remind you that we're media sponsor for the Ingolfson Stupel duo in concert. Coming up this Saturday night at 7 at the Adirondack Lake Center for the Arts. That's in Blue Mountain Lake. Uh, it's a uh, violin-piano duo performing a recital honoring the music of Mozart, Schumann, and more. And if you want details, you can check out our website, ncpr.org slash calendar. That's the piano-violin duo of uh, Ingolfsen Stupel in concert Saturday night. Here's a little bit of their music. This is uh, part of the Foray Violin Sonata Number no. 1.
You'll hear more music by Ingolfson Stupel and the duo in concert Saturday night, 7 o'clock, Adirondack Lake Center for the Arts in Blue Mountain Lake. Check our website for more information, ncpr.org slash calendar. That's the show for the day. Morning Edition continues in just a minute. Then join us later this morning for The Takeaway. We'll be taking a look at gas prices. The Biden administration is feeling the pressure to take more action that will lower prices. We'll hear more on that coming up between 11 and noon on The Takeaway right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Be well.